Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary, because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Hello and welcome to Out of Office, the podcast about life and leadership. I'm your host, Malika Kapoor. Our guest today is British entrepreneur, John Vincent, the co-founder and chief executive of Leon Restaurants. He's also the person behind an incredible campaign called Feed NHS, which is bringing together restaurants, food distributors, and suppliers to provide free hot meals to thousands of healthcare workers on the front lines of the coronavirus. The entire industry shut down. And so we were the only people left open, really, who were able to serve the NHS teams. That's John, driven by the desire to do the right thing. John was a guest at a Bloomberg Live Summit in London to talk about sustainability. After that, he sat down for a relaxed, informal chat with my colleague, Kat Glass. They talked about his incredible journey as an entrepreneur, author, and the profound impact martial arts has had on his life. I'll bring you more of that terrific conversation in just a moment, but before that, Kat caught up with John again to find out how he and his business are dealing with the current pandemic. Here's their conversation. John, welcome to Out of Office. Thank you, Catherine. So uh, I want to start by asking you kind of what your own experience has been of the past several weeks. Are you in lockdown? Are you out and about running the business? They were, they were, they were they've been surreal for me as they have been for everybody. Um, on the morning when, uh, I think about three weeks ago, restaurant industry started to shut down, I, I got a call from one of our suppliers and said, John, we are just going to send everyone home because all of our restaurant customers are shut. So I, I drove up that day and I said to the supplier, don't close. We have to rebuild this industry. We cannot close the entire industry down. And I drove to Wimbledon uh, that afternoon, which was one of our suppliers, and said, look, let's create a way that we can completely uh, reposition all of the industry to get the food to people at their houses. The next day, hilariously, one of the other suppliers said that uh, he has a helicopter business as well. So you know, he sent his helicopter down on the Tuesday morning. He helicoptered me up to Bista where his, his, place, his place is. So we, rather than closing down, what I experienced was actually suddenly Leon going into hyperdrive activity. Uh, so physically what that has meant for me is quite a lot of lockdown at home but also going in to work in the restaurants that are serving the NHS and where required going to visit the various different suppliers that have supported us in our efforts. 
So Feed NHS is Leon's effort, along with several other UK restaurants' efforts, to deliver free meals to NHS staff. And Feed Britain is your delivery service for meals and essential boxes. How did these ideas, you know, kind of come to fruition? How did this this concept to quickly adapt your business to the crisis come about? And how have you managed to get it all online so quickly? It took almost another second for us to to say, well, the people that need us right now are the people working in the uh, hospitals who cannot get food. And they're also the people who are at home, unable to get deliveries and unable to to leave their houses. So it was very simple for us to do it conceptually at the conceptual level. And what we've always given a 15% discount for NHS teams. And we were the first to offer a 50% discount before the world completely closed down. But what happened was, on the following Saturday, the day after the Chancellor offered the furlough scheme, the entire industry shut down. And so we were the only people left open, really, who were able to serve the NHS teams with this 50% discount. And we saw the size of the demand from critical care teams, like tens of thousands of meals required a day. Uh, from these teams who could no longer eat anywhere because everywhere was shut. So we uh, were approached by Damien Lewis, who was an actor, with uh, his wife Helen McCrory and uh, Matt Lucas from Little Britain. The three of them wanted to help fundraise in order to uh, allow us and other people like Baxter Story, who's a caterer, uh, Meal Force, which is another organisation that's been developed, and some of the brands like Wasabi and Dishu. We wanted to raise some money in order for those people to be able to uh, feed people in London, Birmingham, Manchester and elsewhere as the virus spread. So that became really the major fundraising vehicle for, for the money. We as Leon are doing it at cost, as are others like Baxter Story, so that we don't make any money out of it. And we've also said that we will continue to fundraise as long as the NHS needs our support, which is... It's a revelation to me. I've never really worked with the NHS. It really is quite a funny old beast. Each NHS trust has its own autonomy, has its own charity fundraising efforts. There isn't really the command and control structure that you think should exist or might exist in the NHS. So, you know, we've had to sort of learn. It's been quite bad. How long do you think you're going to be able to keep this up? I mean, how long can you? Well, do you know what? We've, we've got this sort of dynamic spreadsheet that's trying to work out. On the one hand, we don't want to have any money left at the end. And on the other, we don't want to run out too soon. You know, we, we're serving now something like 40 trusts between us and our consortium partners. It's quite a balancing act. We've allocated six to eight weeks. If, we're, if we are taking on a trust, we've said, look, we think we're not going to commit to you unless we think we've got six to eight weeks of funding for your particular trust. So it might come to the point that if this goes on longer, the government might have to chip in or we might have to continue the fundraising efforts from individuals or from people at home. How does a crisis like this, does it compare to anything else you've ever faced? What is quite interesting about this crisis for me is that there's been, either people have been sort of uh, gone into freeze mode and others have stayed relaxed to say, okay, you know, we always prepared ourselves for something bad happening. This isn't a shock. It's not a surprise. 
Uh, and so, to some extent, my team are not faced by it. You know, one of the principles of when you're not fighting, which we've always talked about, is expect to be punched. Something big and bad, in inverted commas, will happen. We just don't know what it is. But what what I feel suddenly is Leon people feel like this is their opportunity to to, to, to take responsibility, to, to not be in fear. And I can't tell you the speed at which my team has adapted. Literally, within three hours or an hour, they had completely said, right, don't worry, we're going to turn our restaurants into shops, we're going to feed the NHS, and we're going to feed people at home by getting restaurant quality produce to them in their houses. The energy that it's created in Leon is unbelievable. And I think that's because we've trained people over time to say, you are responsible for whatever happens to you. You cannot blame external events. So I think you've answered my last question, which was how are you applying, you know, Wen Chun to this situation? When we spoke late last year, you said you thought this this mindset, this kind of martial arts framework was a better way to think about and approach your business. If, if I've spoken in the past about the power of nature and the power of this Kung Fu martial art, which is from Taoism, from Zen Buddhism, and which emanates from the Shaolin Temple, which is about not fighting, if I can't apply it now, in, in the current way that we're being tested, it's no virtue at all. It's not even it doesn't hold up. And I would say, from the very start of this crisis, we have been applying all of the principles. It's all about staying relaxed, and that is all that Leon has done in this period. Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. For some background on how John discovered Wing Chun, that's that martial arts practice that he was just talking about, and how he began applying it to his life and business, let's go now to my conversation with him late last year, when we spoke about his book, Winning Not Fighting, at Bloomberg's Delivering on Sustainability conference held in London. So I've read that you thought from a pretty early age you would be an entrepreneur, is that right? Wow, yeah. Well, I didn't know I'd, I'd ever said that out loud, but yes, I think I did. There's a little bit in, um, I've written the book about... Um, knowing yourself and it turns out I'm an Enneagram 8 which means that my biggest fear is being controlled by others <laughs> and so you know added to that you know I grew up in North London in the 80s you know when entrepreneurialism was the thing uh, I probably had role models like Richard Branson, Anita Roddick and others so yes I I, I, I didn't know I'd ever said that out loud but yes you are right I did from an early age I, want I to read do it that. somewhere you were you? quoted okay. somewhere as saying yeah. that so now you've gone and written a book, Winning Not Fighting. Um, did you think published author was on the agenda for your life? Um, do you know what? I? It's never been a major goal of mine, actually, to write a book. I mean, I have, I have obviously written some cookbooks in the past, but this is a very different thing. I mean, this really came about because... You know, I started training uh, five years ago, uh, quite seriously, uh, as serious as one can in a martial art called Wing Chun, which is uh, actually the Bruce Bruce Lee's martial art. Um, 
And strangely for martial arts, it's about not fighting. Uh, and as I started to have the lessons uh, with my teacher, Sifu uh, Julian Hitch, in the Kuhn, which is our equivalent of the dojo, he put these giant things up on the board. And I was like, oh, my God, that's, you know, take the shortest line, never attack, but always hit first, stay relaxed. I was like, well, this is how I'm trying to run Leon. And then as, as the more I looked into the martial art, the more I realized it was an entire journey or framework for self-development, but also for organizational development, perhaps for societal development, which really I found quite powerful. And then there was one day when Julian and I said, you know what, even for our own sanity, we've got to get this on paper. Even if no one buys it, we've got to get it on paper just to organize our thoughts. And then Penguin came along and said, we'll, we'll publish it. And we went, okay, thank you. Well, very nice of you to share it with the rest of the world. You find something that's working for you, and then you decide to let it put it out well, there. Do you know what? There's there's an irony I'd like to admit, which is a lot of the book, a lot of the martial art is based on Taoism, which was uh, contemporaneous with uh, Buddhism, and uh, you know the Tao Te Ching, which was written by Lao Tzu, the I Ching, which came before that. And there's a piece in the Tao Te Ching which basically says, once you've worked out the answer, there's no real need to go around sharing it with everyone else. So I do feel slightly hypocritical because it literally says, look, da, don't bother. <laughs> Just chill out. Enjoy your life. <laughs> but then you took kind of a circuitous route to kind of get to Wing Chun, right? Yes. Um, like you started at an acupuncturist, is that right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. That I, um, I had a five elements acupuncturist called Wendy Mandy. Uh, I've always been... I think I've always been uh, had one foot in the establishment camp and one foot in the slightly alternative camp. Uh, you know, I grew up uh, big fans of Anita Roddick and her work at Body Shop, her work with uh, the indigenous tribes of both Asia, oh, sorry, actually of, of Africa and South America. Um, and so I always had a great, uh, I guess, openness to saying perhaps... All the answers aren't in the West. I mean, a lot of the West look at indigenous tribes as very primitive. Uh, and God, they, you know, one day they'll grow up and be like us. Um, but the more I studied it and the more I was influenced by teachers of mine, teachers in the broadest sense of actually perhaps indigenous tribes have got many more answers than we have. Uh, perhaps we are infected with this kind of lack of ability to stay close to nature, respect nature, live symbiotically with it. So I've always had that... that um, that inclination emotionally and instinctively. And then I started to travel more in Africa, spent time with the Maasai tribes there, um, uh, visited a whole bunch of different uh, places where it made me realise, especially also in northern Thailand, made me realise perhaps it's us that's got it wrong. And so uh, in, in studying the martial art, which is very much based on uh, having a much more symbiotic relationship with nature, um, it started to provide me not only uh, greater reminders of something I was already into, but it suddenly provided me with an entire framework. There's four doors in Wing Chun. One is know yourself and become conscious. The second is bridge and connect with others. The next is free yourself. And the fourth is go back to being unconscious, actually, weirdly, being instinctive in the present moment, living literally symbiotically with nature. And so what Wing Chun provided me in the book, you know, what I've tried to say in Winning Not Fighting with Julian is, there is a journey that one can go on to get beyond ego, beyond the fear, shame and anger that ego is created by ego. And suddenly you realise, wow, 
we are being fundamentally manipulated because of our ego, because of you know the the the, the consumer products ads that say, isn't it embarrassing when you've got dandruff? Uh, you're not going to get laid. Your parents aren't going to have any grandchildren. But don't worry, we've got these little pig, these little micro things that can help solve it. So once you wake up to the extent to which at every turn we're being manipulated by politicians or consumer products companies or even some elements, not you, some elements of the media, you start to realise, wow, we can get beyond this. We can actually stop being controlled by fear. And that's really what the martial art is about, recognising we create our own conflict, we create our own downfall. So we need to move beyond this to find a true self that's much more innate. So it sounds like you were kind of looking for something um, on your own before mm, you found yes, this. Yes. What I mean, what kind of prompted you to take that step to look for, you know, mm. a system that would work for you? I had, I had a... Wendy Mandy, who is the acupuncturist I mentioned before, she rang me one day and said, John, I've got a coach, uh, Amy, she's finishing her qualification. Uh, she'd like to coach you for free. And, you know, in, in a sort of power of yes moment, I said, yeah, great, fantastic. I met Amy. We had session zero. Then we had session one. Uh, she'd recorded session zero. And she said to me, you know, John, I just thought I'd mention that in session zero, you talk throughout about being the general of an army. You do realise, don't you, that you're not actually the general of an army. And I was like, aren't I? I really, really thought I was. Are you sure? Um, and then I started to realise that we have totally and utterly come to use the war metaphor as the primary construct to understand business. Humans love a construct, right? It's the way that we make sense of the world. Metaphors are the way that we don't go, the, the conscious brain doesn't go mad. The conscious brain likes to think it, it understands everything right. and metaphors are the way to do it. And I was actually, you're right, Amy, it's, I'm not actually the general of an army. They're not troops. Do you know what I mean? The, the, the competition in Vodacom, they're not my enemy. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. so I st and, then, and in war, there's no customer. People forget that. Right. So they end up targeting the customer, right? Because they're like, I know, maybe they're the enemy. I got yeah. confused. I got confused. So, so for me, that, start, that was another step on the journey. Then I read a, a, read a, book, I read a book called uh, Mastery by George Leonard, who's an Aikido teacher. Some similarities between Wing Chun and Aikido. And um, he said there's mastery. Uh, there, there's the dabbler that, you know, one minute they're doing the Ironman, next they're doing golf. There's the hacker, gets to a certain level and stays there. There's the obsessive that wins at all costs. Most business people are obsessives. They win at all costs, win in inverted commas. Then there's the master who creates brilliant value for the long term by doing the right things now. They don't try and take shortcuts to get this week's sales right. They don't necessarily, you know, they balance the short and long term. They have respect for the long term. And I think that perhaps what we're doing is we're building a financial system and a mindset built on war where actually war is not meant to be for the long run. Even Sun Tzu, who's adopted by finance people in uh, The Art of War, says, try and avoid war at all costs. Mm -hmm. So that's weird, right? So there's a guy who we've adopted in Sun Tzu, The Art of War, as a business person. He would be horrified that we used it for business because he'd be like, what are you doing? I've, I've even written in the book, try and avoid war at all costs. And yet we've used, because it, it drains the state, people, it gets very ouchy war, right? It's very mm -hmm. ouchy. Um, the troops hate it at the end of the day. You know, mm -hmm. PTSD and they don't love war. So why are we using war as the metaphor? So that that was reinforced by the Aikido piece. And I came back and thought, you know what? I want to find the Aikido teacher. And I rang my local Aikido place. No answer. I looked at the website and the latest news had been updated four years before. So I was like, okay, maybe I, maybe I ain't going to get an answer. And then I went, I went to um, a charity event and Julian 
who I didn't know at the time was one of the auction prizes, come have a lesson with Julian. I bid for him. I brought him to one of our summer well-being days with Leon. He trained people and it was a revelation. It was a revelation to people that there was a martial art that encouraged you not to fight, which is exactly what we should be doing. Wow. And it sounds like it's helped immensely in your business life, has helped in your personal life. I had quite high levels of stress. I had sort of uh, digestive challenges, which turns out, and I had all the tests, you know, all the tests for eliminating this disease, this disease, this disease. And I get, kept going back and they kept doing the same test. You haven't got this disease, this disease, this disease. I said, yes, but I've got something because you know what? It's ruining my life. And it turns out it was stress. Um, and so the Wing Chun has helped alleviate both some of the, I guess, effectively stress and mental challenges I had, linked clearly, as we all know, to the physical manifestations of that. So, yeah, I found it really useful from that perspective. And, and you know, um, once everyone at work is, you know, pursuing this kind of approach, suddenly human relationships get better. And we know that in all the blue zones in the world where people live the longest, it isn't the anti-inflammatory foods, it's the positive relationships that people have mm -hmm. that, you know, means they survive cancer or don't get cancer or don't get heart disease, etc., etc. So, you know, if a lot of people's stress at work is because of toxic relationships that they find they have or having to answer an email, a political email with another political email. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so if we can get beyond that and we can realise why we're creating this conflict, even in the workplace, then I think we're going to be happier. I want to ask a couple of quick sustainability questions yeah, yeah. because it is something that you're passionate mm, about, mm. sustainability. When did you first realise that this was going to be an important issue for you and for Leon? Way back when we started, we said if we're going to reinvent fast food, it has to taste good, do you good and be kind to the planet. So at a very core level, sustainability was one of the three pillars, if you like, three legs of the three-legged stool. Um, it's clearly something that we were um, a little bit ahead on. Um, and that's a shame because it's taken a lot of people, I think, uh, to get to the, what we see as a hopefully a tipping point now in people's conversations about sustainability but we have it, it accelerated in 2016 when we sat down with John Sovan from Greenpeace and he said look from a Leon perspective I would move away from oil-based energy to green so all of the energy that we buy now is sustainable or green energy renewable energy uh, he said move away from um, lots of red meats to more plants both in quantity and variety which we've done um, and thirdly um, in 2016, we said about even before Blue Planet 2 and even before the David Attenborough thing to to, to uh, get rid of even the minimal plastics that we have in the supply chain. We, we, we're down to a very minimal le level of plastics and we were already low. But now, you know, I chair something called the Council for Sustainable Business for the UK government. And I think that Leon's disproportionate contribution in the next four or five years to saving the human is the whole idea of rewilding. I think if you think that we've lost 70% by mass of all of the animals in the planet since 1970, that's quite a lot of percentage, isn't it? Mm -hmm. um, and so I think we see our job as not just uh, optimising carbon, but absolutely as through the supply chain, optimising the return of wildlife. You know, if you look at the migration patterns across America of birds, it is it's destroyed the migration patterns. We are absolutely in the in a mass extinction phase, mm -hmm. and it's made by us, and we have to sort it out. And I do not want Leon to have a competitive advantage over this. I'd, I'd like our you know our competitive advantage to be we, we we're nice to our customers and we give them some nice food. I would like everybody, every um, company in the world, to play their role in 
balancing the need for commerce, the need for freedom, without because otherwise our freedoms are going to be constrained, mm-hmm. but balancing that with the need to protect nature. So we will be rewilding the human. We'll be working out how we can rewild our organisation. We'll be working out how we can literally rewild through the supply chain countering monoculture in farming how we can look at the impact of each individual ingredient and actually measure the not just the carbon impact but the nature impact of how it's farmed Um, how we can build our restaurants differently how we can uh, work with local communities to get wildlife into local communities we're working with the project london wildlife uh, trust to get young people to rewild uh, both all the way from posh houses down to to, to, to council estates Mm. to schools how we can rewild uh, our neighbourhoods, so we create garden mm. cities, not kind of just the posh estates in Oxfordshire. Right. We have to rewild the cities, and so you know that's something that we are going to be focused on through next year. Um, and to and anyone who would like to be involved with us or has got ideas, we see ourselves as a fully networked organisation. We're not, we cannot be a closed wall doing this alone there's more knowledge outside leon than there is inside leon right a lot more so we need to access that thank you so much for joining us john that was leon restaurants john vincent speaking to my colleague cat glass i hope you enjoyed their conversation as much as i did every meal every donation every effort counts Over the next few weeks, we're going to continue bringing you stories of business leaders navigating the corona crisis. If there's anyone in particular you would like to hear from, please let me know. You can tweet at me. My handle is at thisismalika on Twitter, and I would love to hear from you. Remember, you can find more episodes of Out of Office on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, on the Bloomberg Terminal, or on Bloomberg.com. On Twitter, our handle is simply at podcasts. This episode was produced by Laura Carlson. We'll be back next week with another episode of Out of Office. Till then, stay well and thank you for listening. You've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com.